Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. We are entering into a new season in our church life. Finally, Christmas season has started. And for all the cheaters out there who put out their decorations before Thanksgiving, started listening to Christmas music way prematurely, I just want to let you know that you are forgiven. Uh, just I want to corporately forgive you. Just don't do it again. Quit it. It's selfish, okay? The rest of us want to celebrate Christmas, but we know we can't. It's like you're at a surprise party, you hear someone outside the door about to open it, and you yell, surprise! No, it's not time yet. Now it's time for us to celebrate that, right? So quit being so selfish. So uh, for many of us, this is the best time of year. We love Christmas. But for other people, it's also the hardest. And even for, you know, me, it's a mixed bag. I spent my weekend decorating. And I love decorations, but I spent my weekend decorating for Christmas. And, and a lot of this is, you know, what are we chasing after? The perfect Instagrammable Christmas experience? Are we uh, chasing that? Uh, you know, our, this season can be just so bloated, bloated with expectations. Our schedules can be bloated, way packed, having Christmas parties with people that we're not really wanting to hang out with, but we feel like we need to because it's Christmas and it's office parties or whatever. It's bloated also with spending, with consumerism and materialism. Many of us, it's like the greatest trick is that Halfway through Christmas Day, our, our homes are littered with trash, full of things now. We're wondering, what is this all about? And then in January, we get the credit card bill. Oh, bonus. It's the most wonderful time. You know, it's, uh, don't get me wrong. I don't think that Christians should be Grinches on, around Christmas. We're known to be Grinches elsewhere, so let's just leave Christmas alone. Uh, and I personally, I love Christmas. I love the cheesy sweaters that we get to wear. I, I, I love eggnog. I even like tinsel. I love it all. I mean, I will watch the movie Elf three times this month, I guarantee you. Um, but I know underneath that that's not what this season really is about. So I want us to unwrap Christmas together. One of the ways that we can unwrap Christmas together is even using the word that you've heard already in this service several times, this word Advent, which is, is a very churchy word. So let's unpack it a little bit. This word Advent uh, comes from the Latin that means arrival. It means the coming of someone or something. And so this word Adventus it, it's, it's telling us that this isn't a time of great anticipation and expectation. And the way in which the church throughout generations have practiced the experience of Advent is that this is a time for us to sit with our longings. This is a time for us to stop and sit with the longings that we have for the arrival of something or someone. For us, it's this longing for a Savior this, interestingly, is the beginning of the church calendar. So the church calendar and, and the calendar that we have in the rest of the world, are, they aren't the same. So this is the beginning of the new year. So Happy New Year, everybody. And uh, it's interesting that the beginning of the year begins with waiting. So for these next, you know, 25 days, we're going to practice waiting. Who loves to wait? <laughs> Nobody. But that is one of the things that we do in Advent. And it's interesting, when you put Christmas in Advent, 
Like what we do in our culture and around Christmas and what we do around Advent, they're so different from one another. One is this hurried experience of getting more and acquiring more and, and just the busyness of chasing after many things. And Advent beckons us to slow down and consider the longings that we have, which another pair of socks and wireless earbuds can't solve. Like it's, for us, it's telling us that there's something deeper to practice waiting. There's a German pastor by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer who talked about the season of Advent. I love this quote. Not everyone can wait. Neither the sated nor the satisfied, nor those without respect can wait. The only ones who can wait are people who carry restlessness around with them, who carry restlessness like that aren't quite easily satisfied. Thus, Advent can be celebrated only by those whose souls give them no peace, who know that they are poor and incomplete, and who sense something of greatness that is supposed to come, before which they can only bow in humble timidity, waiting until he inclines himself toward us, the Holy One himself, God in the child in the manger. Advent is meant for us to remember that, we have a deeper longing to, to, in humility, put our needs before a loving God and wait. The reason why we do this is Advent reminds us there's longings that aren't easily filled. So we wait and remember Jesus who came in the manger. We also wait in the anticipation of what Jesus promised to return again. But what we also will remember is as we practice waiting is that the same God who came in the unexpected way in the manger also comes in unexpected ways in our life today. For we know that Jesus arrives in the present moment in unexpected places, just as he did that starry night with the smell of manure in the air to two wide-eyed parents. This is the one we must learn to anticipate in our life today. So for this season of Advent, we're going to unwrap Christmas by looking at four different names that Jesus receives in this Christmas narrative that we have, this Christmas story. And each of these four different names are sharing some powerful truths that point to a longing that each of us have, a deeper longing that each of us have. And so today we're going to begin by looking at the name that Jesus receives, Emmanuel, God with us. This word Emmanuel, this name Emmanuel, shares a fundamental truth about who God is, that God has always and will always long to be with humanity. God has an enduring passion to be with us. And for that theme of hope that we have burning today, this is the fountain of hope that we have, that God is with us us. And I believe the Bible, in all of its expansive beauty, written in all different types of literature throughout generations, point to the singular truth that Emmanuel is not just a Christmas story. Emmanuel is a story about God littered throughout the Bible. 
So if you can bear with me, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, just try to take this in. If you have studied the Bible for a long time, I just want to do a survey of the way in which that God is trying to convince us over and over and over again that he is with us, the singular truth, that God is Emmanuel. So the story begins in Genesis when God was with humanity, like literally with humanity, walking in the cool of the day, sharing life with God. That was how our stories began, is to have a life with God. And unfortunately, humanity, uh, they rebelled against God. And rather than just banishing humanity away, sending them off in their sin, we, that's not the story of God. That's not who God is. Instead, the story of all of Scripture and the good news of Jesus is that God began pursuing people so that we again could have a life with Him, with God. And so that's the way this story begins. Later on, God, God's people were enslaved uh, in, in Egypt, and so God heard their cries and he was moved in compassion. He delivered them. And then just rather just sending them out to a new place, he physically led them by cloud by day and fire by night. His presence was there leading them through the desert to, so that they could experience his presence in this promised land. Their leader, Moses, he was questioning himself. I can't do this. There's no way. And in Exodus 33:14, God gives them this promise. He said, my presence shall go with you and I will give you rest. In the midst of Moses' inadequacies, God gave Moses his presence. Later on, the mantle of responsibility and leadership was given from Moses to Joshua. And notice the first thing that Joshua hears from God. Joshua 1.9, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you, is with you wherever you go. Like promising, like, Joshua, I'm, just as you saw me with Moses, I am with you. I'm going to be with you. And so Joshua led him into the promised land. Joshua helped form this nation, this people. They, they began to experience God in the midst of this community. They even experienced God in the temple where they would sing to each other. They would pray to each other. Even the prayers that we pray and where we need to remember hope. Prayers like this from Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear evil. For you are with me. You're with me, God. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You see the hope in that? What do we do in the shadow of the valley of death? What do we want? What do we need? We need to remember that God's with us. And even when we rebel from God, even when we run, just like they would, God would remind them again of his presence. This is in Isaiah 43, 1 through 3. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. But God knew that God's presence just in that type would not be enough, that humanity needed a Savior, a Savior to walk with them again, to ultimately to, 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 to finally win back humanity to God. So Isaiah, generations ago, made a promise 
that would one day be fulfilled in Jesus, and this is in Isaiah 7, 14. Some people predict around 700 years before Jesus, Isaiah would say this. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be, will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Now, this is important to know that God's name reveals not only what God would like to be called, but also who God is, God's very character. His name is Emmanuel, God with us. And God's master plan was never to stay distant, never to ignore our sin and our failures and our brokenness or heal us from afar. The way in which God would transform and redeem this world would be through his presence to win us over. So on a night like any other, God's enduring longing to be with people took on a new form with the prophecy of Isaiah ringing throughout all of eternity. Their season of Advent ended. In Luke 1:26, we hear, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Before anything else is shared, before this angel is about to share how much her life would about to be disrupted, this young woman, God is with you. You need to know some truths, Mary. You are highly favored. Though your culture doesn't favor you, because we understand that Mary was very young. Some people expect her to be around 12 or 13. And in that culture, the culture didn't favor women. But in God's eyes, favor. Mary, you are greatly favored. Though you might see, seem common and ordinary to others, you are greatly favored. You're highly favored. The Lord is with you. Verse 29, Mary was greatly troubled at his word and wondered, what kind of greeting might this be? But the Lord said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you call his name Jesus. Mary asked, How will this be, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, for no word from God will ever fail. Now, this idea of being overshadowed is it's lost on us, but the way in which an original hearer of this would understand that to be is this picture of God's presence thickly, uh, like, overshadowing as in, like, covering and filling from the inside. It's, it, was, it would be for them to imagine the temple being filled with God's presence, be filled with God's spirit. And so what this angel is saying is, not only is God with you, but you're about to be overshadowed by God's presence. He will overshadow you. And gives this final promise that no word from God will ever, it will ever fail you. So in the midst of Mary's low status and confusion and doubt, what does God give? The power of his presence. Though Mary knew that there would be great consequences for this, you know, public disgrace for, for she's just engaged to be married and she's pregnant now. The possibility of losing Joseph. She's like completely off script. And all that God's giving her is this simple promise that I am with you and Mary, I favor you. And we see here why Mary was the choice to be the mother of Jesus in her response. 
verse 38, I am the Lord's servant. Notice how she responds to this. She declares who she is. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Whereas the Beatles made popular, let it be. Let it be unto me as you have said. What a posture of trust. What a posture of surrender. What an expression of humility just to release her life and to say, if you say so, God, I'm in. Let it be. May it be. Matthew said of this encounter, Matthew 1.22, all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So nine months later, in the form of this helpless baby, there was Emmanuel. And again, God was with humanity face to face, but just in the most unexpected way. This would be not only the first case for Emmanuel, but this would show the very nature of what it meant that Jesus would be Emmanuel, that God had the tendency to be present in the most unexpected ways to the most unexpected people. Over and over and over again, Jesus would give his presence in unexpected places to unexpected people. Jesus would live this out. This is how he was going to be Emmanuel. He was present with the outcasts and the misfits. He started this whole movement with mostly uneducated men. He was present with, with people, the uneducated, he, the despised. He would, dined with the sinner. He was anointed by the prostitute. He touched the leper. He lifted up the lame. His presence was given over and over to the least expected. Those who they thought Jesus would pass them by, Jesus ran to them, clung to them, and showed them the extent of God's grace and mercy and what it actually meant that Jesus would be God with us. That's who God was. That's who God is. But perhaps God knew that we would doubt his enduring presence. Would God be with me throughout all of my experience? Even the bleak moments? Even my rejection? Even when the script goes off and it seems like everything goes black? So God went further into the human experience. Jesus chose to identify with humanity in the midst of our brokenness and our pain and our sin. On the cross, Jesus made it clear that there would be no aspect of the human experience where that God would not be with us. So there on the cross, there on the cross was Emmanuel. And on that cross, even Jesus displayed in that moment, on the last moments of his life, his enduring passion to let it be known that God would be with us. If you guys remember on the cross, there was two different criminals. One was mocking Jesus, and the other one turned to Jesus. And he said this, Then the criminal said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And this is Emmanuel's last words, one of his last words, Truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. Even to the end, Jesus was making it known that I am giving my presence to people like you. You're going to be with me in paradise. Your story's not over with on this cross. We see how this is Emmanuel. But Jesus wouldn't leave us. He told us 
Even before he left us, that where two or more are gathered, there I will be. Here's God's presence. God gave us his spirit, this reminder of that we too are overshadowed, that we too can be favored by God. We wouldn't be surprised if the end of this whole Bible, if the end of this whole story shows that God is still with us. Look at this, Revelation 21, one of the last pictures we have of how the ultimate advent, the ultimate coming of Jesus will end. In Revelation 21, verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Do you see, like, this is the passion of God that we have throughout all of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. God's passion is that we would be with him, that we would know him, to have this uninterrupted life with God. And this is the outcome of it in verse 4. He will wipe every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the older, old order of things have passed away. This is why God is passionate that we would experience him. So that we would experience the life that we would always be meant to have. All the scripture seems to be convincing us that this is who God is. Or as one author, Rachel Held Evans said, a central, uh, a central part of understanding scripture is that God stoops. Listen to this quote. From walking with Adam and Eve through the Garden of Eden to traveling with liberated Hebrew slaves in a pillar of cloud and flat fire, to slipping into flesh and eating and laughing and suffering, healing and weeping and dying among us as a part of humanity. The God of Scripture stoops and stoops and stoops. At the very heart of this gospel message is the story of a God who stoops to the point of death on a cross. Dignified or not, believable or not, ours is a God perpetually on bended knee, doing everything it takes to convince stubborn and petulant children that they are seen and loved. This is who God is. This is what God does. If this is who God is, this is what God does. One of the main questions that we have for us in this Advent season is what do we do with a God so passionate to be with us? How do we respond to a God perpetually stooping to be with us? How do you respond to the nature that God is Emmanuel, that there hasn't been a moment of your life that God hasn't been with you? From the first breath that you, you inhaled as a baby, every step along the way, every prayer that you prayed in the middle of the night, that God was walking with you. And every failure you've made, every triumph that you've had in your life, that God was there cheering you on, comforting you, that God has been Emmanuel in every phase of your life, in your rejection of him, of your acceptance of him, that God was there. God is Emmanuel. What does that do in you? What does that produce in you? Just think how differently we would live and be if we actually took that in. And there's some people in this room, when I talk about your longings, you don't have to wonder what you long for. You're in, the midst of, you're in the midst of a season where you're walking through a fire, and you need to know that God is with you. Today, you need to cry out the name Emmanuel. God, I need to know you're with me. And what I see per perpetually is that God stoops. 
God wants to be known with you. Call upon his name, Emmanuel. And my prayer for us this Advent season is that we would experience God's presence, just like Mary did. That God might come to us just like Mary, interrupting our life and looking at us and saying words it's hard to believe that we, by God's grace, are favored and seen by God. And he promises, I'm going to be with you. That's who God is. It's what he does. For he is Emmanuel. Father, for the people in this room who have longings and needs, I just pray, Lord, that you would show up. And it seems even this week, I, I've just experienced, there's a lot of pain in our community. There's a lot of us who, who just need to remember that you're with us. So I pray, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Emmanuel. Come in the needs of our community and the needs of our world and the needs of our life. We thank you, Jesus, that it's not by our own earning or striving we, we experience your presence, but it's only by your grace. It's only by your grace that we have experienced it. So community, I encourage you now just to pray to your Emmanuel. Just invite him to be present with you. Maybe there's a need in your life that you just need to lift up, call upon his name. Maybe there's a person in your life who's walking through something and you just need to pray for them and just say, God, I pray that you'd be Emmanuel. Or maybe you just don't even know your deeper longings. If God were to meet you right now and ask you, what is, what is the true longing you're waiting for? Maybe you need God to sift your mind and your heart. So go to, go to God in prayer now.